The Town Talk Radio Show is brought to you by People G2, a company founded in 2001. People G2 is dedicated to helping clients with their people-related decisions by giving them access to the best human capital, due diligence, and background checks with prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. People G2 was recently named one of the best places to work here in Orange County by the Orange County Business Journal. It is also listed in the Inc. 5000 company list of fastest-growing privately-owned companies. To learn more about People G2, please visit them online at www.peopleg2. That's peopleg2.com. Or you can follow us on Facebook or Twitter handle at peopleg2. All right, well, let's get started. Let's bring in our first uh, guest and our host here today, Chris Dyer. Thanks, Paul. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me. Again, my name is Chris Dyer, and I'll be your host for the next hour. In case you're tuning in for the first time, the Talent Talk radio show features a wide range of guests who care about talent. On this show, we'll talk about talent in two ways. First, as it relates to success and uncovering the secrets of really talented people, And second, we talk about talent in relation to human resources and how HR leaders find the best candidates today. Hopefully that makes sense. The word talent here has a couple different meetings in the business world, and this show will explore those two areas. My guests include CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR executives from all types of industries. When I'm at networking events, conferences, roundtables, I have the privilege of meeting inspiring leaders all the time. I created this forum to allow you to listen in on our dialogue and learn some practical advice that will hopefully impact your career in a positive way. Before I get to my guests today, Terry Hartshorn and Nancy Hoops, I want to thank you all for tuning in live. Don't forget you can submit your questions uh, to my guests via Twitter. You just need to tweet your question at PeopleG2 and put in the hashtag TalentTalk. My producer, Mike, will feed me the best questions, and we'll try to work them into the show. Don't forget you can listen to the show via our podcast on iTunes, as well as subscribe to make sure you never miss a single episode. That weekly show will be sent out to you and alerted on your iPhone or whatever uh, other device you have. So if you're listening on the podcast as well, thank you. With that said, let's get our show started today. My guest here at the beginning of the show is Terry Hartshorn. And I'll be talking to Nancy Hoops at the second half of the show. So, Terry, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. It's good to be here. So tell us about yourself and some of the great companies that you've done work for. Well, I was fortunate enough to get into the healthcare industry. I really backed into it. I have a a master's degree in healthcare management, and I didn't really research the industry or anything. But after serving in the service for a few years, I came out. And there was such a big demand for people with my degrees. I had something like seven to eight job offers as a very young person in the 20s, a lot different than today's market. Sure, sure. And so the companies that I have worked for were uh, hospitals, uh, medical groups. I was fortunate enough to start a company called Pacific Air Health Systems and was the CEO of that for 18 years. That is was health insurance and and managed care uh, insurance. And then I went to work for a large nonprofit hospital company after leaving Pacific Air. So my entire career has been in the health care industry. So what branch of the service were you in? <laughs> I was in the United States Public Health Service. Got health as well. Because of my degree, it was an, it's a kind of an alternate service from the mm-hmm. traditional ones, Army, Navy, etc. And uh, the 
public health service took care of the merchant marines and the coast guards and they had hospitals around the country obviously on the coast and so that work really directly prepared you then for the yeah. work you did later on oh definitely i mean it was just one of those things where even while i'm in the service i was still getting experience that i could use later what were some of those early lessons that you you learned during that time one of them was uh learning how to speak in front of groups it mm-hmm. was i felt if i was going to be a leader that i had to do that in a you know a way that was uh, not like i'm doing now stuttering a little bit but i had to deliver a talk poignantly you make the make my point and go on and i had to actually work at it and practice and that was one big thing another one was just working with people understanding the the goods and bads of people seeing strengths and weaknesses in people and be able to being able to work with them those were the two biggest learnings for me well those are great points so you felt like just talking in that large group setting was really something you had to work on early on uh, it's funny because I'm the opposite. Larger groups seemed very comfortable. Small groups, small settings where the it was more intimate and you really had to connect with the people was ones. One person, two people is great. Large groups, great. Twelve people, ten people. That's where I always had to really focus. How do you connect with a medium-sized group, you know? Yeah, and as a leader in a company, you have to learn how to connect in all those, like the ones and twos, the tens and twelves, and then 500 people. And for me, the bigger, the larger the group, it was almost easier, maybe a little bit like you, Chris, mm-hmm. be- because I had my prepared remarks and I was, you know, moving ahead with that. So sure. So uh, you left the service and uh, you you came with lots of job offers, but somewhere down the line you ended up uh, becoming a part of Pacific Care. So into that role as CEO and president of a growing company, what were maybe one or two of the challenges you faced in managing such a large and growing organization? Well, the ones that uh, I recall that were. Uh, real important to us is managing the growth of the company. And what I mean by that is we had about five years of 20 to 30% growth every year. And we had to, you know, our systems had to, you know, keep pace. We had to be hiring good people to keep pace with that. So it was, it was getting good people and keeping all your systems just functioning so the company could keep functioning. Um, And we hit the wall a few times where we had, it doesn't happen today with phone systems, but I remember one time we just ran out of capacity with our phone system, and we were a fairly large company, and people were just being backed up and kept on hold, and we had uh, that was a big lesson that hurt us for about three months before we got it corrected. You know, it, it's interesting that you say that because I think maybe people don't maybe don't remember maybe <laughs> there's a generational thing. I remember there being uh, a time in our own phone system where. We were doing some advertising, and a lot of people were calling at a specific time, and we ran out of phone lines. Yeah. And there wasn't anything you could do about it. I mean, ordering more lines, getting your phone system upgraded, I mean, that was weeks of a project. Mm-hmm. I mean, nowadays, with what we have, we, I just go in, I add, you know, actually, we have a, a system that we use, and it's virtual, and there is no limit to how many people can yeah. be calling into your system. Exactly. You just need the people to, to answer. The challenges can be different, but one one challenge you, you, you mentioned early on in your response there was... Getting talented people, getting the right people in the door. So how did you do that? How did you get those good people in the door that were going to help you keep the 20 to 30% growth going? Yeah, well, obviously, um, the HR department was the, the first line of uh, offense or defense, however you want to say it. But I think it might be offense. <laughs> yeah. We were uh, a vision and values-oriented company, and there were some very skilled people that in the HR department that could sense through an interview the person they were interviewing 
could identify with our values. And, and for example, some of our values were integrity, trust and respect, accountability, and you know, they just learned how to listen for those people that would be in sync with those values. Those people were usually the ones that turned out to be best performers in the company. And an interesting thing, what we found out, we stumbled into this, that the employees that had been there for a couple of years that were really committed to the company and believed in the values, if a brand-new employee wasn't living up to them, they'd let them know. It's like their fellow employees, their peers would say, we don't do things here that way. We do it differently. And so they became kind of the monitoring force as well, which I never expected. But. Well, it's not surprising if your values are that strong, then it becomes a part of your culture. Exactly. And that then just radiates throughout the company and into your customers. And that makes sense to why you're having such huge growth and such huge success when you have your employees really in line with your values and your purpose and, and what's going on in the company. It's so much easier to not have to worry about those things. So many com- companies mm-hmm. spend time worrying about those things mm-hmm. when instead of worrying about how do we grow or how do we deal with the other problems of growth. Yeah, I think with strong vision and values, your decisions are actually easier to make because mm-hmm. they become a filter for, you know, should we do this or shouldn't we? Or And it was very helpful. We had a, a mission statement that was improving the quality of lives of people we touch. And it wasn't just our our customers or the people that bought our health insurance. It was the doctors, the hospitals. And we made a list. We went down each constituency and how can we improve the quality of their life? How can we do that? And I'll give you one example. Like we got to hospitals. Well, how do we improve their lives? We decided we could pay them faster than our competition. You know, when somebody was in the hospital, they sent us the bill. We would pay them faster than the other insurance companies. So we tried to do things like that to separate us from the pack. I mean, that's really remarkable, some of the things that you're saying. Uh, not to get too far off topic, but do you think that that's still what's happening in the insurance industry and that the similar industries today? I have not been real active in the industry in the last 10 years, but I would say it's still there. Health insurance is health insurance. Mm-hmm. Now we've got Obamacare coming on, which will start to change some of the dynamics. Mm-hmm. But it's still uh, a very diverse industry. Everybody is an expert in it because we've all accessed health care at one time or another, mm-hmm. and we have our own opinions. And a lot of times people will say, well, doctors are a bad group of people, but my doctor's really a good doctor because you've got a personal relationship or you know, they'll, they'll tend to personalize it a lot. And everybody has an opinion about health care. And it's still around today when I talk to people. So Yeah, that's a vital part of, of our society to yep. be able to get people the care that they need. So you you moved on, you said about 10 years ago, from uh, Pacific Care, uh, retired uh, as the CEO and president. And then you kind of evolved into a role of advisor and personal coach into the startups or early stage companies. So what were some of the things that you saw there with the ones that succeeded? You know, was there a particular leader that, you know, leaders did certain things all the time where they were successful or maybe they did certain things and they were not? Do you have any sort of patterns or things you could that you noticed? Well, I did notice that the people had uh, courage, you know, courage to make uh, the risky decisions, courage to to say no, courage to say yes when they were, you know, still a little unsure. A big attribute that I notice is that they could bounce back from failures, that failures didn't crush them. You know, some people, when they fail or don't do a job very well, they just kind of curl up. And uh, But the entrepreneur or the one who could achieve a lot 
they used the failure as a learning experience and, you know, moved on from there. And I'd say the other thing is their focus, keeping the main thing the main thing. Um, they tended to really be focused and stay building their company to the best they, they could, but it was they wouldn't get distracted from outside things that would come into them because mm-hmm. they were, had that laser-like focus. So within that, that realm of, of being that coach, were there certain successful experiences that you might share that you were really more memorable than others? Well, it probably was while I was still working, one comes to mind rather mm-hmm. than, you know, my last 10 years. But it was, uh, we had an employee at Pacific Air that was outstanding salesperson, and we wanted to move them into management. And they were actually making more money in sales than they would be with their new position in management. So we convinced uh, this person to, to move because I thought they had the talent for management. And I just spent time... I guess, coaching that individual over the next few months, you know, asking those probing questions, watching them in their job, and they blossomed. And by within two years, they were probably responsible for about 25% of the company. We were fortunate just to notice that here's somebody in the sales department that has a lot of talent but could probably help the company more if we moved them over to the management side. Well, that's a great story. So you certainly have a lot of experience uh, in, in many different areas. How do you think your cumulative experience has impacted the type of leader you are today? Well, I'd say the biggest thing is just the the length of experience. I mean, you you've seen I've seen a lot over the years, good, bad, and and ugly. Um, I've seen people fail. I've seen people succeed, and you kind of watch for those characteristics. I, I think the biggest thing is that. I have a better sense today than I did when I started in um, my career, listening to people uh, for what they're really saying and watching that they're not afraid to make decisions or afraid to tell me, the boss, that you don't know what you're talking about or Mm -hmm. challenging me. Because I'd rather have people do that than just be nodding their head and going off and doing it and thinking to themselves, Terry doesn't know what he's talking about. So... I would say it's just the ability to relate, listen better to people, and then give them advice just based on my years of experience. So from your early days in the service, do you think till now, I mean, have you really changed as a leader then? I've matured a lot, and I probably don't, not probably, I don't get too panicky about things if things aren't going real well. We try to find the solutions. We try to look for ways to you know, fix things and improve things. Um, I used to say, you know, if we had a certain problem, I I don't have the, the answer for it. But if there's 10 of us in this room, this meeting, 10 of us working together, we'll come up with the answer for it because we can be creative and play off of each other. So I think one of the biggest things I learned as a CEO was not to have all the answers all the time because you you don't. The bigger the company gets, the more you have to really trust the people that are working and you have to learn how to delegate and just believe that it's going to get, get done in a proper way. Mm-hmm. So you've kind of talked about this maturity over time and maybe this uh, being a, a settling force within the organization, not to get too flustered or freaked out if things aren't going well. A lot of people kind of look back and they say, well, I get a lot of these qualities or I have a lot of these things about me because of somebody or something that happened in my life. Do you have one of those kind of things? Did someone really impact you early on or at some point in your career? Uh, maybe you could kind of talk about that. 
Yes, I have two individuals, but I'll talk about one. He was my first boss or superior. I was still in school, but we were required to work six months in a hospital to get our degree. And he had that leadership style that was very communicative. He showed me that a sense of humor is okay to have in business because he had a great sense of humor. He was also um, able to listen to a group of people talk and then just pull out the important points, uh, you know, from the conversation. So he could, he had that ability to listen to physicians kind of brainstorming and talking, and then he could just summarize it at the end of the meeting, and they would just look at him and say, that's exactly what we meant. So that helped me just observing him uh, in, I guess, on the firing lines, working with people and doctors, and he taught me a lot about uh, professionalism and, you know, being a, a, he was a manager by walking around. So he would walk through the hospital, talk to the employees, talk to patients, and I, I learned that from him, and that's still my style today. Is I, I'd like to walk around and see what's going on in the in the business and in the company. Yeah, I recently had read a book. The title is eluding me right now, but it was, I think, it kind of detailed UCLA's the hospital over there, their whole approach, and that even their top person, their CEO, actually meets with several patients hmm. during during the week, as you know, so that everyone involved in the organization is connected. So that walking around, that they're talking to patients, they're talking to employees, that there's no one so isolated within the organization that they can't see and feel what's going on. Um, yeah, if you're in a labor-intensive industry, which healthcare is, you need to do that. You, mm-hmm. know, you need to be out there because you'll get some of the best solutions to problems by listening to employees or patients, your clients, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. So, so our, our, you know, I mentioned uh, that book, but uh, is there a book that you're reading right now that... Uh, maybe we might find interesting yes in fact i just got this last week it's uh it's a harvard business review book harvard business review press and it's called coaching and mentoring and the subtitle is how to develop top talent and achieve stronger performance i'm only about halfway through it but it's got a lot of good tips on being a coach and a mentor things like don't talk too much <laughs> be an active listener ask the probing questions provide someone to bounce ideas off of, observe them as they work or observe their results and and talk to them about how they can do better. And, you know, I, I hope that I just keep learning all my life. And this is a book that I'm learning things from. So. Well, and you just said two, two points that just jumped out at me. When I've talked to people, when I've done some coaching and helped people in their businesses, usually if they're struggling, you know, there, there's two things they're not doing. They're not listening and they're not learning. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're just uh, kind, of, kind of set in their ways. They're not hearing what people are telling them. Their clients are telling them. And getting them to listen is often difficult. But if they can change that behavior, uh, I you know, I, I even challenge people, go into a room, have a meeting, and listen 80% of the time and only talk 20 as the leader. Mm-hmm. Can can you even a- achieve that and see what happens? Uh, and have huge successes with that. But the learning part, too, is, is huge because... You know, I think it's interesting how um, you know, my wife's a teacher, and I think teachers are one of those sort of subsets of, of, of uh, a job where they're constantly having to learn. They're constantly having to have new things that are sent at them, and it's a part of their process. But that's not always true for other organizations and leaders and job types. Sometimes you learn, you get in the job, you learn there, and that's it, and it gets stuck. And that's and I think people lose their passion that way. But mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember one individual, you triggered a thought 
his company, similar to Pacific Air, he started at the same time. We were peers. I knew him pretty well. But he was the type, as the, his company got bigger, he was not a good listener. He thought he could make all the decisions himself. He he just he wouldn't listen to his employees. And the company ended up really struggling. For It took off like a rocket ship and then just almost crashed. And he had to leave the company and somebody else came in. But it was all, like you said, Chris, he... He wasn't a good listener. He thought he knew it all. Kind of like to dive into the creative process that maybe you experienced during your time. How do you get people to brainstorm effectively within a team setting? Do you have any tips on that? Yeah, I guess um, probably not anything really new, but no idea is a bad idea. You kind of have to start the meeting like that. Mm -hmm. So don't be afraid. Nobody's here to judge you, judge the idea. We're going to write everything down, and then we'll go back and talk about each idea. So we spent time just doing that doing that creative thinking with a whiteboard and just writing the ideas down and then we go back and say that's a good one that's not a good one and it wasn't judging the person it was just looking at the the ideas i remember going to a conference one time on creativity and the conference uh, started first 10 minutes the uh, person who was leading it just put a, a circle on the board about the size of a quarter and what is that and, of course, all of us are saying, well, it's a circle on a board. And he said, you show that to a bunch of kindergarten kids or six, seven, eight-year-olds, and they'll come up with a 100 different things that that circle is. You know, it's a black hole. It's a black star. It's a squished bug. And he said, "You're as adults, our creativity gets, uh, what do you call it, inhibited because mm-hmm. we get forced into a box kind of. And you have to break the box open and get people to, to think uh, yeah. di- differently. And we like to say at our, our company... Uh, Brainstorm first and filter last. That's good. Yeah, I like that. (laughs) Terry, I really want to thank you for uh, being on the Talent Talk radio show. It was a great pleasure to have you and to hear everything that that, uh, you really experienced in your career, especially with your time at Pacific Care. Um, Up next, we're going to have Nancy Hoops on the line talking to us after our uh, first commercial break. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. Talent Talk Radio Show is brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated 
to helping you with your people-related decisions by providing access to the best human capital, due diligence and background checks on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. They've been recently included on the Inc. 5000 list of fastest-growing privately-owned companies, as well as being recognized as one of the best places to work right here in Orange County by the Orange County Business Journal. To learn more about People G2 and what they can offer you, please visit them online at www.peopleg2.com. That's peopleg2.com. Or, of course, you can follow them on Facebook or Twitter. And, in fact, if you have questions during the show, tweet away. It's at peopleg2. Well, I think that wraps up our uh, commercial breaks here. Let's get back to the action here with Chris Dyer and his next guest. Hey, Chris, who you got with you? Well, welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Just a quick reminder, you can subscribe to the podcast of this show and listen to past shows by visiting octalkradio.net and clicking on the show tab and clicking Talent Talk. In this short time, we've amassed a quite a good following, and we've already gotten uh, quite a few hits there on iTunes and downloads, so please keep it up. Subscribe to the show. My next guest is Nancy Hoops. Uh, don't forget to tweet your questions for her live right now and by sending them to at peopleg2, hashtag talent talk. Nancy, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. So t- tell us about yourself and your organization, Pharmaca. Okay. Well, Pharmaca Integrative Pharmacy is a unique concept where uh, we want to take health care to self-care. And we have 24 integrative pharmacies, mostly in California, New Mexico, Oregon, Washington, and Colorado, um, that uh, kind of like the whole foods of the pharmacy business. Our front of our stores are staffed with practitioners such as naturopathic doctors, herbalists, estheticians, licensed practitioners, and then we have a regular pharmacy. So um, you as a patient can come in and get uh, licensed health care education and uh, advice on certain products, and it's all free to you. And I'm the VP of HR. I started with Pharmaco 13 years ago and have built the business with the uh, founders and um, still enjoying it every day. And what was sort of your path, let's say, to to get up to that that level of being the VP of HR there at Pharmaca? Sure, I started out in the restaurant business, um, actually hostessing and then and then cooking while I was going to college. And I think uh, we all then, started there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's a great place to start. Um, lots of it builds that great work ethic. Um, and then I was fortunate to be in entrepreneurial companies and uh, worked in operations and then moved into HR and found that I really liked that niche. Um, then moved on to a training company, which is now defunct, but it's called Career Track, or Fred Pryor Seminars bought them. And um, then went to a nutraceutical company and also Whole Foods Market. So... Um, Pretty much I've worked with, this is my fifth entrepreneurial company, and uh, I like building companies, building culture, and along the way I've got a lot of uh, experience in different areas. So, you know, your role at Pharmaca, being the VP of HR for, you said, I think 12 years, really puts you in the center there of all the departments within your organization. You know, what is your secret in kind of handling all those different challenges that come your way? Well, first, I eat a lot of chocolate. <laughs> and, That's great advice. <laughs> uh, got to have that. You know, I always look at you got to be a problem solver. 
and uh, look at everything and coming in. Um, I uh, have great people. We have uh, hire great people, and I delegate, um, but paying attention to the detail. What, what I do. I also um, I come in early in the morning. I usually get here about six thirty, and that's really a quiet time where I can get a lot of uh, the project stuff, strategic things done, and then the rest of the day I can spend with, you know, engaging with different um, departments and helping support what they need as well as well as the stores. So you really start your day with a level of trying to tackle the most strategic things. Um, and before you kind of get bogged down later on in the day in the more tactical, would that be correct? Yes. Yeah, and, and that, I think that's a really great uh, thing that you do. A lot of great leaders have that type of a system. You know, hit the big issues first. You know, hit your strategy first. Some people have it be the ABC list or the Rockstone Pebble list or, wh- or whatever you want to mm-hmm. call it. But really getting into those big things that you want to do first in your day before the uh, the inevitable pebbles start getting thrown at you, and you have to to spend some time on those. So, Absolutely. You know, how has your work experience then really influenced the type of leader you are today? Well, I think, again, and, and I owe it to being um, privileged to work in uh, several startups and, and working for entrepreneurs, um, that you learn, you know, you jump in, and I've done a lot of different positions, so I've actually worked in operations and manufacturing and so forth. So I really have a sense of um, what the business needs, and not just uh, you know from an HR's perspective, but also business. So I can combine those two, and um, I think that that has always been pretty ingrained in me and has served me well going forward. So wearing lots of hats and uh, knowing how to jump in and help—that's it's usually a, a pretty good. Uh, quality of most entrepreneurs and that's great you can have that in hr because i don't think people realize how many things hr has to deal with um both from an offensive side of the business and a defensive side of the business and really making sure that culture and values and everything within the organization really gets taken care of and implemented as well as you know just those other tiny tactical things that are always happening on a day-to-day basis and I, you know, I will say I've been fortunate too where the, um, the CEOs that I've worked at really value that approach and have always had a seat at the table. And that's, I look for uh, companies to work where that's the case, um, because it's such a strategic and important part of the business. So kind of based on your experiences or possibly even farther back before you even worked, uh, you know, started your work career, was there a certain person or a certain event that maybe had a really fundamental impact on your leadership development? Kind of at the start uh, with the training company, and his name was Jimmy Colano, um, the guy was uh, a great entrepreneur, but what he also did was, in terms of the direct reports, he had a pretty much disciplined us. Um, you know, we did once a month, we had to do a summary report of things that were, you know, key areas that were going on, what we were working on, um, accomplishments, but also future focus. And that discipline has stayed uh, with me all the way through. And I think that really helped build a strong foundation of just focusing on results and really getting a lot done with a little so do you think that process that you said you've kind of carried on is one of those skills or techniques that really helps contribute to your role and your work over time? 
Absolutely, because um, I think, as you said before, and, and what we, you know, everybody gets bombarded with things throughout the day, the little, the pebbles, you call them, and um, with the discipline, you've really got to look at where, you know, what's going to get the biggest bang for your buck and where you're going to be able to move, you know, the business forward with the people, you know, and through the people. So are there any other you know, skills or, or techniques that you've may have maybe developed um, that have really helped you kind of get where you are today? I think um, the can-do attitude and ability to say you don't say no and you jump in and even where uh, you know may not be experienced. I remember I was working one of our companies was a nutrient nutraceutical manufacturer and um, we were going to have to let the director of that go um, and the CEO and the CFO and I sat down and we were talking about it and they said but I, we don't have anybody to run the warehouse manufacturing and I said you know what I don't know how but I know people and I know I can manage so I volunteered and went over and uh, worked with them for six months so um, even though you know it, it, I mean, it tied into HR pretty much because you're dealing with people and dealing with the business, but uh, that wasn't my area of expertise. Um, they had the confidence that I could do that. And I've done that quite a bit, even at Pharmaco when we were starting out. CEO and the founder and I would go out and we would buy independent pharmacies and then convert them to Pharmaca. And I did a lot of the um, lease negotiations and the details like that, that again, weren't part of the HR piece, but, but it just adds to your toolbox. Mm-hmm. Sure. And I think that when you deal with people, then you can put, put yourself in their shoes. So it seems like you're that kind of person that, like you said, jumping into things and being able to kind of have that can-do attitude. And that usually comes along with the type of person who likes to, to learn new things all the time. I'm, I'm going to guess that my next question, which has turned into a our, our show favorite so far, which is, uh-huh. you know, what are you reading right now? You know, what are you learning? <laughs> That's a great, great question. Um, I just finished the Steve Jobs uh, autobiography, and and I didn't think I was going to like it, and I really did. And what fascinated me about it was that um, I, you know, it really showed you how how his brain worked and how creative he can be. Um, I would say that's. I'm not a hugely creative person like that, but um, it really got me excited to start thinking about different ways of, of looking at uh, the use in, in, in our business, how we could connect with our customers more. And so um, I think that, you know, I'm always I'm a big reader, and those types of stories really help me. I, I like to see how people do it um, and then, you know, figure how I, can I apply it. Well, and I think I have maybe that had that similar feeling was, I don't really know if that's a book I want to read. And I, I've already got a large pile, you know, next to my bed of, of business books that I'm supposed to be reading and, and try to get to. Kind of your comment now makes me think maybe I need to move that one up a little higher on the list because I kind of had that same idea that, oh, do I really want to read it? I, I know a lot about him. I know a lot about Apple. I've read lots of books about their process and everything. But maybe that, that inner workings of his brain, it would be kind of fascinating to really dive into. Mm-hmm. It absolutely is. So you know, speaking of creative people, I kind of want to ask you about your creative process within your company. You know, How do you brainstorm effectively with a team uh, you know, and, and really make them think cre- creatively to help you solve problems? 
Right. Well, first, our culture is very open, and we've established that from the start, and that's a great thing about being able to kind of create the foundation in a company. But, um, you know, we do have that open environment, and what we do is, you know, we we frame the question and then let our people go with it. And I, I just frame it and step back and see how they – you know, how they come out with ideas and what makes sense. And um, we encourage creative conflict, too. Uh, you know, I just, we just hired a new IT director, and, and in the interview process, I was telling the people that we interviewed that, you know, I said, you got to be able to, to jump in and not be afraid to, to speak your mind and, and put your ideas out there, even though you may not be a marketing person or you may not be an HR person. Um, and... It's such that, you know, we use some of those ideas, but no one gets, they don't get shot down. And that sounds, you know, I mean, pretty traditional, but, but we really don't. We really, um, you know, we, we live that here. You know, how do you really encourage then people to continue to develop themselves in, in a way that may be very similar or parallel to what you've been doing? So you have this openness and culture for people to, to contribute, to help brainstorm and be creative. But on the, on the other part of that is how do you within your company really help people develop into being more talented? Well, with my team, you know, specifically, I, uh, we meet one on one each, uh, every week and we review their goals. And, um, what I focus on is asking them questions about, um, you know, where, where do you want to be? How do you think your goals or how do you think this project is contributing to, um, to the company goals? And, um, where do you get the most satisfaction of, uh, being a participant in? And questions like that. And we talk about that every week. Um, and in terms of our job dialogue process, we have an annual job dialogue process, but because I do that, um, each week, I really get a lot of information about what they want to do. And in a couple cases, I've had a couple people that uh, one person was in a training role and she thought it'd be great and it didn't work for her. And then we talked about it and it's like, okay, how do you develop? Where do you want to go the next step? She said, I really want to be in operations. So she went back in operations. Those are the kind of conversations you have instead of just saying, um, well, you did this, you did this, you did that. Is that the kind of primary way that you get the most out of your staff, or do you kind of have some other things that you do as well to really get the most of it? You know, I keep an eye out for training, um, and since training is under me right now, we're creating a training portal. We're just debuting it next week, which we're very excited about for all of Pharma team members, where they can actually access a lot of the information we have online in this portal. Um, Pharmaca is a very educated, oriented company because uh, we have our practitioners out in the field, and we have a lot of uh, information, such as vendors, and that give us information on topics such as, you know, nutritional supplements like the vitamin D's, all sorts of health concerns. So we have a wealth of information out there. And one of the programs we're putting in is through this portal, we are going to give them, you know, points for learning and and how that can contribute to them and their growth and their position. Well, it sounds like you have a lot of great people in your organization. And I think that's a challenge for a lot of companies is getting the right talent at the right time which is partly why we have this show. We like to talk about the talent and, and how people do that. So do you maybe mm-hmm. have some some ideas or some suggestions or maybe you can share? How do you find or how are you able to recruit some of that top talent for your company? 
we're pretty honest. You know, I mean, when we go out there, I talk to a lot of the schools and like in pharmacy schools and the naturopathic colleges and so forth. You know, of course, we attend their career fairs and, and so forth, but we really reach out a lot and um, tell them that, you know, here here's a place where you can practice our craft. We're in a, we're in a unique business, so some of these people will want to be, um, you know, like their chiropractors or so forth. They want to ha- build their own business, but they can't necessarily make a living when they come out of school. Um, we can provide that. So recruiting for them is giving them an opportunity to earn a living and connect with customers that they may not have. And, you know, it's really we build, when we interview through the process, it's very much a we're one team, one vision, one company. And so even if you're a naturopathic doctor or you're a pharmacist and you've gone through these seven years of school or whatever, um, you may be cashing out customers. You may be stocking shelves. So we're very, very honest about how we um, interview. And we say, you know what, this may not be the environment for you. And if it isn't, that's okay. You know, we want to know that up front. But we're pretty honest about that. So do you think that someone really needs to love what they're doing to really help drive the success of your company? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you have to be, you know, in any, um, I think in, you know, in any, anything that you do, um, to be successful, you've, you've got to, uh, love doing it, you know, and I'll say after being in this, you know, and with Pharmaca for as long as I have, um, that every day it's still a day that I want to come in and say, you know, I've got something different to do or I'm working on this issue or working through the business and it's still as fun as it was the first day. Have, have you seen, uh, you know, any examples or, you know, sort of situations where people, you mentioned one earlier where someone was in a, really that role of being a trainer and they didn't like it, they ended up going back to operations. But fr- from a leadership standpoint, have you seen, you know, situations in your career where people didn't love what they were doing? They may have been extremely talented, uh, but they really weren't loving what they're doing. And, and maybe you could kind of share that and what type of impact it had on the organization. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, we we just had, in fact, we had a key leadership position uh, person in that, um, and they are very smart and very good at what they did. They wanted to be in a different position. They wanted to move up quicker than what the organization um, felt that they were ready to do. And that person, um, you know, we had several conversations about it, and ultimately they weren't happy and it affected their team and i I say their team the whole team basically turned over and at that point we told the individual who kept saying you know what we're here to support you but yet you've got to decide what you want to do and um, ultimately that person ended up leaving us but there have been just the same number of cases that someone has turned around and said okay you know um I can find that I'm going to work on a different project or I'm going to work on a different way to to approach this. So, again, I think you have to evaluate, but you've got to be honest with someone and not be afraid to, you know, be brutally honest, basically. Well, and, and some of that really gets into those challenging areas of human resources. So do, do you have right. a, a painful lesson that you've learned during your career that you might share with us? Yeah, yeah. Early on, uh, and this is in the early days, uh, you can tell, I think, by the way, I talk as is honesty is a big tray with me. And I was probably um, maybe too honest with people. And, and you know, in HR, you kind of got to 
have some uh, play both sides and and you know have some uh, tact and finesse and and early on in my career I think I, you know I, I I know I didn't have that and I had a uh, an assessment and the peer reviews and my team reviews came back um, pretty low on that and of course I was surprised I was like well I I think I talked to people and you know I'm okay but. Um, but they didn't, and the CEO that I reported to, you know, we really had some some uh, long conversations, and he was a great mentor, and so, you know, I got past that, but I ultimately went back to people and said, you know, tell me, give me some examples, tell me what I need to do, and work through it. So, really so it was had, painful at the time. Yeah, yeah, but, you really had to be introspective, yeah. which can be very difficult for people at times. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know if you've ever read the book Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, but the premise of the book, for in case you haven't read or anyone who's listening who hasn't, is that you can really become an expert in anything as long as you put in sort of this magic 10,000 hours of practice. Being a, a professional in HR and really seeing people develop, I'm wondering what your, your take is on that. Do you think someone can become an expert and do a good job if they've had enough practice, or do you think there's more to it than that? Hmm. I think there there is more to it. You know, I'll give you the example of, of the sports, you know, world. You've got, um, I mean, everybody knows you've got Tiger Woods, you know, and go out and practice the 10,000 hours and all that. And the guy is great at what he does, but you look at him now and, and it seems like the passion and the drive, depending on, on where he's at, but, you know, there's something that was lost in, in there. And I still think that your passion and your drive you know, you still have to have that in addition to just going out and, and you know, spending all that time in there. Because you can spend a lot of time, you know, reading and becoming an expert, That, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, that you love it and that you have a passion for it. Yeah, I think it's a great answer. I think it's a combination. I mean, it's one thing to be an expert and to, to practice that skill for, for those 10,000 hours, but if you don't love it, <laughs> if it's not something you want to do, I, I mean, I just don't see how... I'd rather have someone who's only practiced a thousand hours, who loves doing it, than I would someone mm-hmm. who's done ten thousand who who is not happy, who just really isn't there with what they want to do. You know, that that passion in someone's life seems to be so important. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Uh, the final question I needed to ask you was: Is how can people reach you or your company if they're interested in learning more about Pharmaca? Oh, sure. They um, they can uh, email me at. Uh, N H O O P E S at pharmaca dot com. That's the best way. We're on the web at um we're also on pharmaca dot com. Okay. So uh pharmaca, uh which I believe is uh P H A R M A C A, is that correct? That's correct. Okay. Yeah. Dot com. Yeah. So Nancy, thank you so much for being my guest today. It's about all the time we have, so one of the Again, thank Terry Hartshorn and Nancy Hoops for being on the show. Tune in next week at the same time, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, for more Talent Talk brought to you by People G2. Uh, next week, we will have Jason Summit and Stephen Goldberg, or Steve Goldberg, here to share their thoughts on talent. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk right here on OCTalkRadio.net.